just want to remind us that we, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And uh, there is not a moment during a service that is so planned that it can't be chucked, right? Um, and I, I just want you to know that there is, you have freedom to deal and to have conversations with your Creator at any moment of the time, or at any moment of the service. Um, we, uh, we firmly have a, we have a plumb line around here that you, you embrace the awkward, and sometimes we have to embrace the awkward in our own life and take that step forward. And uh, when we embrace the awkward, it means that there's not a moment that is awkward, <laughs> right? Because you just step into it. And it allows freedom for other people to, to step into what they need to step into. And so I am grateful that this is a body of Christ, that this is a tribe, that this is a faith family that allows that to happen. And I don't, I don't want us to ever not allow that to happen. And so thank you for being who you are um, in the Lord. And so uh, um, I, uh, on another note, um, I want to say thank you um, to all of you. Uh, Last week, um, the letter was read um, of my extension of tenure here, and and there were a lot of cards um, that you had given Amy and I and and Matthew and Chris, and um, I I think I've mentioned this before that Amy and I, when, when we receive cards from our congregation, we we take time together and, and we just pause and we open them together and we read them together and then we pray over our congregation. Um, I just want to say thank you for your kindness and your generosity. Um, you don't need to do that um, by any means, um, but we are grateful that you did that. Um, and uh, so thank you for allowing us to be in your life, to speak into your world. Um, and hopefully encourage you and um, challenge you and push you um, to grow, um, to connect with God, and to help other people connect with Him too. So thank you for that um, from, from, from my wife and myself and, and Matthew and Chris. Thank you. We, we really do appreciate it, and we do love you. Um, even if we don't know you yet, uh, we love you guys. And so... Um, Today, um, today we're, we're going to start on another journey. It's a two-week journey. And I, I just want to remind you, um, I've had some comments about last week's sermon. Um, if you were not here, I just want to remind you, that those of you that are here and those of you that are listening online, that there is option, an opportunity. If you miss a Sunday, which we hope that you don't, but I know that there are, few, there are many that, that can't be here every Sunday, um, but there's an option to listen to our service, particularly the sermon, on Spotify or online at wapaknaz.org. And, and um, we've been doing this for a little bit over six months on Spotify and uh, for about a year and a half online. And there are people all over the country, quite frankly, that are plugged in and tapped in to Wapak Naz, little old Wapakoneta, and little old Wapak Naz. Um, and so I just want to, to remind you of that and also to welcome those that are, are listening um, online or on Spotify that's across the country. And uh, we hope that, that you um, are growing in faith, um, growing in God, um, because of these these moments that you take and listen, and uh, we'd love for you to partner with us, and we'd actually love to meet you. Um, so uh, we hope to see you soon. Um, so uh, this week we're going to step into um, a two week two week series called Happy Thanks for Giving. Um, I'm, I'm going to bring today's sermon, and next week Matthew's going to bring bring next week's sermon. Uh, and, and in two, in, in three weeks, uh, we're going to embark on, on Wapak Naz, A Year in Review. Um, we, we just like to take two weeks and kind of look back at, at uh, the year and particularly lessons within the sermons and things like that that we've, because 
I don't know about you, but my memory is, is, is very short and shot, uh, so I forget things pretty quickly. Um, so we just want to be reminded of the truths and the things that really stuck out for our year. But this, these next two weeks is, is happy thanks for giving. And uh, today we're going we're gonna to stick in Luke chapter 17, uh, 11 through 19. Luke chapter 17, 11 through 19. And, and we will come to that, that scripture here shortly. Um, but uh, years ago, um, pre-Amy, pre-my wife, uh, <laughs> P.A. Uh, uh, Pre-Amy, I, I was working three jobs uh, at the same time. Um, I, I worked as a chaplain, full-time as a chaplain at Nazarene Christian School, and I was part-time junior high youth director at the church that was connected to the Christian school. And then I, I worked at Express, uh, men's and women's uh, clothing, um, and uh, Apparently, I became the expert as soon as I had the headpiece, earpiece, and wore clothes that looked nice. I don't know. Um, but uh, I, I had this moment one evening. Uh, so I was working the floor and uh, outfitting people and you know, making sure that they got their clothes that they needed for their events and those types of things. And you know how, like, even like at Burger King, they have these headpieces that you can like talk into. And so... I heard over the headpiece um, some chatter from the rest of the quote-unquote fashionistas, and uh, they were arguing over who's going to help this couple out that, was, that had come in the store. And apparently, no one wanted to help the couple out. And uh, due to some reasons, one being there was this ungodly smell that was wafting about the couple and so my colleagues knew that I was a believer in Christ and so they said Ambrose you do it isn't it isn't it funny how atheists and agnostics will guilt you into doing something that they won't do and so I went ahead and I took that opportunity and so I um, went over to the gentleman and his, I would assume his wife, and I asked if they needed any help. Um, be glad to help them. And, um, and I, I was met with a rude snub in a foreign accent. And so I said, well, my name's Stephen. I'd be glad to help you if you need anything. And so I went back and kept my eye on them because that's what you're supposed to do. You want to make sure that if they, they pull any clothes off the rack that you go over and you offer uh, a you know, a, a dressing room so they can outfit themselves. And so kept my eyes on them, and then I came back, and, and I was, again, met with a rude snub. And so uh, on my way out from, from that interaction, I, I noticed him speaking very um, unkindly and harshly to his wife, um, very brash. And so I was up at the counter, and he had come to the counter with a pile of clothes and he threw the pile of clothes on the counter and he had two coupons in his hand and said can I use these two coupons and I said well sir we can only use one coupon in the store so um, well which one which one should I use and so he wanted me to figure out which coupon he could use and which would be the better deal because one of the coupons had a had a percentage off and the other had a dollar amount off and so what I would have had to have done was put each item in the register, then calculate it with the one coupon, and then compare it to the other coupon. And, and I explained, this is what I'll have to do. I'd be glad to do that, but this is what I would have to do. Well, you tell me which one. How much? And so he, he stood at the counter with his head like on a swivel, watching his wife and then watching me and... At another moment, she came to the counter with more clothes while I was trying to figure out how much this pile was. And he took clothes off that pile and put more clothes on this pile. And he said, which one? Which one? How much? How much? And I said, sir, I've yet to figure this out. I'll, I'll tell you when I'm, when I'm complete. So at this point, blood was rushing through my veins at Mach 2. And he still spoke unkindly to his wife. And 
He he stood there gnawing on a toothpick. And he continued to interrupt. And at this point, I had had enough. Which one? Which one? How much? Trying to give the guy the best deal that he possibly can get. And I stopped. And I looked at him and I said, Sir, from the first interaction that I've had with you, you've been nothing but rude to me. I said, you have two choices. You can either stand there quietly and let me do my job, or you can leave the store. The choice is yours. What do you choose? And he kind of stepped back, and he let me do my job. And I figured out which was the best deal for him. And then we went through the transaction, and the transaction was complete, and he walked out of the store. I wonder, do we often do that with God? Quite frankly, God wants good for you and me. He does. In fact, Scripture tells us that He's given us the best deal that Jesus Christ literally paid the price on the cross with his sacrifice, with his life, that you and I could have eternal life, that we can not only have eternal life after we have taken our last breath, but we can experience eternal life today, that we can experience heaven and earth. But I wonder how often we wait impatiently, ungratefully, unappreciative and in fact I wonder if we often think we're getting the raw end of the deal that maybe even God is trying to dupe us sometimes that we hand him our coupons and he's still finagling something to where we're on the raw end folks I'm here to tell you today that the only person that is giving you a raw deal is you and me. We're the ones giving ourselves the raw deal. And so I'd like us to step into this scripture today, to this story, and watch what unfolds. Because Jesus Christ our God and our Creator has good for you. And in fact, like, like most of the parents that are here, wants the best for their kids. God wants the best for you. And so would you open up to Luke chapter 17, verse 11. Scripture's up on the screen there. Verse 11 Through 19. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem, he traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. He was going into a village. Ten men who had leprosy met him. And I just kind of want to pause there real quick. Um, Here, this this term, leprosy, Luke uses it, and it really means that it was a, there were a very, various skin diseases. So we don't necessarily know if it was actually leprosy that these ten men had, but it was a, it was a very, various accounts of different skin diseases. But um, we have translated it into leprosy. But as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, Have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. We'll come back to that. Jesus asked, We're not all... Ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? 
Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then Jesus said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you will. well. Let's, uh, let's pray for a moment. Heavenly Father, this is your word, and there is definitely truth in this. Lord, may we find ourselves in the truth. May we find ourselves in this story somewhere. But quite frankly, I hope that we allow to ourselves to be found in you as a result of the truth that is being told. God, work it in our life, because Lord, I know that you have good for us. And so I I truly ask that we just drop our guard today and allow you to speak into us. And Father, for me, I'm just asking that you bring clarity to my mind. Help me speak clear. And may you speak through me with your Holy Spirit. It is in your name, Jesus, that we ask. Amen. So here we have... uh, Jesus and his disciples, they're spanning the distance between two places. They're spanning the distance between Galilee, a region in the north, and um, Judea, a region in the south. Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. And here we find that Luke gives us a detail that he doesn't want us to miss. See, Luke is the writer of this gospel. Luke, Luke is, in the New Testament, he's a church planner, but we also know that Luke is a doctor, and doctors are pretty detailed. And Luke is the one that tells us at the beginning of his gospel that Jesus Christ's birth happened during a census, a Roman census, an imperial headcount, if you will, during the the reign of Caesar Augustus and Quirinius, the, the governor of Syria. And you wonder, why in the world does Luke tell us these details? Why don't he just get to it? Well, Luke tells us the de- these details because he wants us to re- be reminded that Jesus Christ stepped into space and time. He literally stepped into human history. And he reminds us of those things. And so here in this story, Luke brings a detail to surface that he doesn't want us to miss. And that detail is that Jesus Christ is walking along the border of this region of Galilee and Samaria. And so what is that detail he doesn't want us to miss? Well, the fact is, Samaria is, is kind of the in-between, the land of the in-between, because it sits in between Galilee and Judea. And Samaria is the place that no self-respecting Jewish individual wants to find himself in. Why? I'm glad you asked the question. You're so inquisitive. Because there's been racial tension for centuries between Jews and Samaritans. Centuries have gone by and the racial tension has come to a high level. There's hatred, disgust, and distrust between Samaritans and Jews. Quite frankly, Jews believe that Samaritans are half-bred idolaters who wouldn't know the truth if it was right in front of their face. And Samaritans at this point have had enough of the hatred and the insolence and the maliciousness. In fact, Jesus, earlier in his ministry, earlier in the gospel, you can find it in Luke, he was heading into Samaria because Jesus goes into places no one else will go, right? To meet with people that no one else will meet with, right? So he sent messengers ahead of him. And the messengers that Jesus sent ahead of him were so unwelcome that James and John, two of Jesus' disciples who were brothers, said, hey Jesus, do you want us to call fire down on them? So the tension between Jews and Samaritans was very real. Judgment between Samaritans and Jews was very real. And Luke doesn't want us to miss this. Because we find in this story that as Jesus steps into the land of in-between, he actually stands, steps into no man's land. 
Quite frankly, where no one wants to go, whether you're Jew or Samaritan. Because as we see in the text, as we see in the story, Jesus and His twelve disciples start to approach a village. And on the outskirts of this village are ten men. Now this is where a Samaritan and a Jew will agree. Maybe on one thing. They don't want to go into this no man's land on the outskirts of the city where these ten men are. Why? Again, I'm so glad you asked. Because these ten men have a condition. And Luke describes it as leprosy. And as I mentioned, it's a, there are various, various skin diseases. But what both the Samaritan and the Jew understand is that their condition can soon become our condition. And therefore, as a Samaritan and a, grew, uh, and a Jew who don't agree on anything, this they will agree on. We don't want that condition. Why? Because neither one of them will be able to worship and do the things that they do in society. They will be quickly ostracized and outed in their community, just as these ten men are. Quite frankly, these ten men are literally on the outskirts of the community. In the first century, first century Jews and Samaritans were very, very quick to out you, to marginalize you, because of your condition, whether it was a skin disease, a malformation of any type of sort. For the Jew, it was because if my con- your condition becomes my condition, I cannot go and worship at temple. I cannot be a part of community. And therefore, I stay away from you. And so we have a group of ten men who seem to have found each other. Isn't it interesting? I find it interesting that in human nature, common misery and tragedy, people who are on opposite sides of the fence will find themselves together in the same spot. And here we have a group of ten men that are on opposite sides. Quite frankly, Jesus, at the end of the the text, he even says, "This, this man's a Samaritan. And so this group of ten men is a mixture of Jews and Samaritans that neither Jews or Samaritans want to hang out with, want to have contact with. This is no man's land. Have you been or are you living in no man's land? Where no one really wants to have contact with you? See, I I often find in grief when there's loss, we really don't know what to say. We mentioned this in our mental health series in September. We just don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to act in relation to that individual. And so what do we do? We keep everything shallow or we just try to avoid the conversation. We even just try to avoid the loss of the individual. And we don't want to mention their name. No man's land, right? We don't want to step into that. But as I said earlier, Jesus steps into no man's land where no one will go. Because in no man's land, there are people that are created in His image that have value and that have worth. And Jesus wants to step into that. So if you're finding yourself in no man's land today, I can tell you right now, Jesus isn't going to ignore you. Our Creator, God, is not going to ignore you. He's going to step into. That's the whole deal with Christmas. That's completely the whole deal with Christmas, right? Jesus steps into humanity, puts flesh on Himself that we might identify with Him and He with us. Yeah, Christmas is coming. I'm sorry for the reminder. You've got like eight weeks, man. Click and shop. Click and shop.
And so, these ten men with the skin disease, they stood at a distance. And as Jesus was approaching, they cried out in unison, in harmony. Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Literally, have mercy on us. Have mercy on our situation. Because no one else will. No one else will. Have mercy on us. And so, I find it interesting, again, here we have a group of men on opposite sides, and their tragedy brings them together. And now they have a common need and desire for their life circumstance to change. When Jesus saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. Now, why in the world would Jesus say this? He didn't say, your faith has healed you. He didn't come and touch the leper as he did earlier in the, in the scriptures in Matthew or uh, Luke chapter 2 or 3. He didn't hold the hands of the lepers like he did with Jairus' daughter who was dead and rise her from the dead. He didn't make mud and put it on their eyes. No, he said, go show yourself to the priests. I'm grateful that God is a personal God and personally comes into our situations the way he knows that we need them, his presence. Quite frankly, Jesus does, I, don't, I can't recall a miracle that Jesus does in the same way throughout the Gospels. It's personal, and he approaches us personally. He says, go show yourselves to the priests. Why the priests? Well, I'm kind of scratching my head because if you're reading the Scripture, if you're in the story and you step in and you're one of those ten, you're still covered. You're still with leprosy all over your body. Open sores, brittle skin, immense pain. And he says, go show yourself to the priests. You're not healed yet. Why do I need to go to the priests and show myself? Well, the Old Testament law says, if you do have a skin disease, if you do have leprosy, and you're healed, after seven days, go, go and show yourself to the priests so that they can affirm that you're healed and that you can now assimilate back into community. But these guys aren't healed yet. And I scratch my head and go, why? I'm not healed. Have you ever asked God to do something in your life or something maybe miraculous for you, not necessarily miraculous for God, but miraculous for you? And you've stood there and you've stood there and you've stood there and you've waited and you've waited and you've watched and you've looked around and you said, where is it, Lord? I'm waiting on you. You ever have that in your life? Maybe I'm the only one. Notice what happens. The scripture says, and as they went, they were cleansed. Have you ever thought and wondered? Maybe maybe God's waiting on you to go and do that very thing that you're asking him to do and then as you go the miracle and the story unfolds before your very eyes you ever thought that there are too many believers there's too many Christians and followers of God who are just banking on be still and wait patiently in the Lord. And that is their excuse to not even get up and do. 
when God is saying, I'm waiting on you to get up and move. And once you get up and move, the miracle begins to unfold in your life. That happened at the feeding of the 5,000. Because when Jesus broke the bread and broke the fish and gave it to the 12 disciples in their baskets, that's all they had. That's all that was in their hands. The miracle begins to unfold as they go and begin to distribute the fish and the bread. And it's unfolding the whole time. And they're going, oh, man, this is what in the world? Mind blown. Folks, as you go, darkness is illuminated. As you go, you realize that God is already in front of you doing and working and making things happen. As you go, the wounds are healed and become scars. As you step in, you're seeing God move. And so, these ten men, as they go, they're cleansed. Now, I, I, I just, my mind runs here. They're starting to roll and they're starting to walk to these priests. And then you start to realize these sores are becoming less seepy and starting to close. And the pain starts to remove from their body and the skin that's so brittle becomes pink and fleshy. And they're cleansed. They're physically healed as they went. But back to that priest thing. Why the priests? Jesus said, go show the priests. He wanted the miracle to unfold in the movement of them. But also, Jesus doesn't just tell these guys to go show the priests. He's told other people to go talk to the priests about what has happened. I was like, why, Jesus? Why? I know that's a fulfillment of the law. But then I realized these priests are the religious elite. For those of you around, they would be the common churchgoer, they would be the Sunday schooler, the Sunday school teacher, they would be the board member, they would be the person that fills that pew every Sunday, they would be the pastors. The preachers, the teachers, the pious. Why go show the priests? Because even the religious elite, they need to know that God is moving and shaking and wants to do greater things around them. Even these priests need to know that God is alive and well. These priests are the ones that are keeping the system rolling. They're keeping the status quo. Folks, God doesn't want status quo for our life. If He did, we'd still be waiting on a Messiah. We wouldn't be celebrating Christmas. You wouldn't have to click and shop. There'd be nothing to celebrate. God is not about the status quo in our life. These same people, Jesus wants to get the word out, to get the message out. And so, it's interesting. This one leper, he's a foreigner. He's not a Jew, he's a Samaritan. As he's going, he realizes Dude, this is awesome. I'm completely healed. Does he go to the priest? No. He stops dead in his tracks and turns right back around. And he goes to the source. He goes to the source of his healing. 
You ever wonder if God wants more for your life? I said it earlier. I think you and I are the ones that give us a raw deal. It's not God. Because God truly wants good for you. Now, good doesn't necessarily always look the same for everybody. But see, this guy, this Samaritan, rolls on back to Jesus. And this beautiful story unfolds. Because what we see with him is now he's not crying aloud, Jesus, Master, have pity on me. In fact, he's praising God in a loud voice. And he's no longer standing at a distance from God, but he literally throws himself at the feet of Jesus. If you're an English major, that's really cool. Because you see this as a bookend. You see this as a movement in the character. But this is a movement in a human being. And he's no longer standing at a distance with God. He's engaging full on with his whole self. He's literally doing the hokey pokey before Jesus Christ. His whole self is in. And he thanks God. He brings his gratefulness before Jesus. The transformation has happened. But still, there's more. So, a couple weeks ago, I think it was a week, uh, a week ago this Friday. Um, man, I, uh, Friday is my day off. Um, and many of you are going, dude, you only work an hour and a half a week, so I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, yeah, we'll have a conversation. Um, but Friday, Friday was my day off, and, and uh, I went and got my wig busted. Um, for those of you, that means I got my hair cut. Um, but I went and got my wig busted, and, and I really wanted to make, I've been telling my wife about this soup that I really wanted to make. Um, never made it before. So I was like, I, I got to go to the store. What do you need? And so I was walking out of our store, and I was like, you know what? I, I really want to get a cup of coffee. Um, and most of you know that I, I drink coffee anyways all the time, but at this moment, coffee is not the most conducive thing to getting the job done because when you hold a cup of coffee and you have a shopping cart, it's really hard to navigate through the aisles. I mean, Walmart aisles are just really small to begin with. Man, I'd be, I'd be hitting people like, no, that just doesn't happen. So with a cup of coffee, you navigate it by pulling the cart with you, and you go a little bit slower, right? So I intentionally chose to have a cup of coffee to go shopping because I, I wanted to slow down. Because often through my week from Sunday to Thursday, I'm like a hummingbird that just goes like here to there to here to there. And there's not a lot of space to stop. And so having the cup of coffee and pulling the cart opens space to have moments and to slow down. So I intentionally took the cup of coffee and I went and went to the first store and got my items and I was at the car and loading up the trunk and this lady comes out of like nowhere. I'll buy your cart. <laughs> she had a quarter in her hand. Y'all know where I was at. Um, <laughs> I'll buy your cart. I said, Yes, ma'am. And so she waited patiently, and I was just about finished. I didn't have a whole lot, and I shut my trunk, and we did this transaction, quarter for cart. <laughs> and uh, I said, thank you, ma'am. And, and then she just started talking. My husband's coming home from the hospital today or tomorrow. Really? Yeah. Well, what's going on? Well, he had taken some medication that he needed to take and it really affected his kidneys. And this was the second time he's been in the hospital in the last month or two. And so that must be really difficult for you. Open space for a moment, right? And uh, yeah, I said, well, I'm, I'm glad he's coming home. We just continue this conversation. And, and if, if you're new around here, we have this plumb line. I don't know if you notice the plumb bob that's above us. Um, this plumb line that you pray now 
and pray later because if you don't pray now, you won't pray later, right? So I said, ma'am, I'd be glad to pray for you. And I don't think it computed for her because I think she was thinking, like everybody else in the world thinks, well, you're going to pray later on. And I said, and, and she kind of started to turn the cart and go. I said, no, ma'am, I, I'd be glad to pray for you now. Oh, okay. And so in standing in the parking lot, we had a moment of prayer. And uh, then I said the amen, and here comes this lady right at me, um, colliding, and she gave me this hug. And uh, so open space, right? Creating a moment. And I went home, and I, I started making this soup, and I, I knew that this sermon was coming, this thankfulness, generosity, and, and um, gratefulness. And I started thinking through, and I, I, I learned something new um, as I was reflecting on this moment. I learned that actually, because you know, we often think of, of, of gratefulness in terms of what I have, or who is in my life, right? I have a roof over my head. I have food on the table, um, what, whatever. But it never dawned on me until that moment in the kitchen as I was making soup, thinking about this lady and her husband, that gratitude can be generated by generosity. Like you literally can create gratitude in other people's lives. And, and we all know that gratitude really r- changes and reshapes the wiring in your brain and redirects your perspective on life and the situation. However, how often are we intentional to say or do things in order that others can become grateful in their life to redirect their thinking. Generosity generates gratitude. And I wasn't generous with money. I just created open space with my life and my time. Jesus is in this moment where this man has absolutely been revolutionized, radically transformed, physically. It is noticeable. And he comes and lands at Jesus' feet and praises God and thanks Jesus. And it's like Jesus is ungrateful. Where are we all ten clean? Where are the rest of the nine? It's like, wait, Jesus, first of all, you got the dude in front of you. But see, on reflecting on this moment, Jesus wasn't ungrateful at all. Obviously not. He's kind of the son of God, right? Um, but what was Jesus really saying? There were ten of you. One of you came. And one of you is going to get more because you came. There was more to be had. There was more for you. And because nine of you failed to come back, nine of you is not going to get what I have for you. Remember, we're the ones getting the raw deal because we're the ones giving the raw deal. We're not stepping into it. And so Jesus says, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. In other words, congratulations, the kingdom of God has now entered your life. Congratulations, you now have a relationship with the Creator. Nine men walked away having been physically transformed, but not spiritually transformed. How many of you walked away from Sunday morning, after Sunday morning, after Sunday morning, after Sunday school, after life group, and you have just gotten a little bit more intelligent about what the Scripture says and have not become radically transformed on the inside. God wants more for you. 
God has more for you. He wants good for you. But we have failed to open the gates. We have failed to drop our guard and come back and give praise. Folks, it's really interesting about praise and thanks. God sees and hears your faith when you give thanks. Think about that for a second. God hears and sees your faith when you give thanks, when you are grateful to Him. He sees that faith in action. You're coming with, with gratefulness and gratitude because of God's generosity in our life. God is a generous one. And He has more. So, I'd ask that today, one, who is it that you're creating gratitude in their life? By what you do, what you're giving, the open moments for them. Create gratitude in other people. Generate gratitude in other people with your generosity. In many forms. I'm not just talking financially. You can do a whole lot with a whole little financially. You are important, and so are they. So is everyone around you. People matter, right? Sometimes it takes the people of God to help other people know that they matter. We've got to step into no man's land. But you might actually be sitting here hearing these words today or listening online. And God wants to lavish His generosity on your life. Meaning, He's got grace and mercy, forgiveness, life, newness for you. But notice, that didn't happen for the ten lepers that were standing at a distance. No, that happened for the leper that came and engaged personally. You will not receive mercy and grace until you begin to engage personally with God. That you step into Him. All too often, we're standing at a distance. Folks, mercy triumphs over judgment, says James, Jesus' brother. Mercy triumphs, but you cannot have mercy until you engage. So I'm going to ask that, will you please stand? You mind bowing your head for just one moment? Because, again, when we come into any facet of the Word of God, we don't want to just become smarter Christians or smarter people about the Word of God. We want it to transform our life and allow it to be active in us. And so we must engage with it. And some of you, or one of you, or many of you standing here today with your heads bowed, I want you to know that there is a God who has stepped into no man's land and you might be feeling like you are in no man's land today. That God sent Jesus Christ to step into the, that, that area of life where no one else will step into. And our God is a generous God. He has love and mercy and grace that is incalculable. This is your moment. This is your moment today for you to step into, to go and become clean and to go and receive that salvation. If that is you, 
and you're in no man's land. Maybe today you have just met God, our creator, for the first time, and he has come, and you know it. I'm just going to ask that you pray along with me. It's not a magical prayer. It's not mystical in any way, shape, or form. It is, it is truly just wholehearted and genuine. Jesus, I give you my life. Say it. Jesus, I give you my life. I give it to you. It is yours. The life you gave me is now yours. Jesus, I give you my life. And the generous God will pour out grace and will pour out mercy and will pour out forgiveness on you. Jesus, I give you my life. If that's you here today, if you've said that prayer and you meant that, will you please just raise your hand and let me know that you've, yeah, praise God, praise God. Oh, Mm. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you, Jesus. Lord God, I thank you that in this moment, heaven and earth has collided right here in Wapakoneta, at Wapaknaz on the corner of Court and Benton. Lord, I praise you that, that life has been given so that new life may be received, and that new life comes from your hand. God, may there just be a radical transformation that occurs in mind, spirit, soul, and body. And that this is the beginning of the journey. But God, as we go and as, as we step into that, Lord Father, we realize that the miracle is unfolding right in the moment. There is a movement of God. Lord, I pray for all of us and I ask that all of us here today, Lord, we think about how generosity can generate gratitude in other people that it could help other people lift their eyes out of their circumstances and lift their eyes up to the Father. Jesus, you said, you said it yourself. To show the world our good deeds, that they may see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. God, may our generosity generate gratitude in people. Lord, we thank you. We give you praise. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Man, will you please just give God a round of applause because he deserves it for what he's done. I don't know if you could play, uh, play the doxology. I don't know if you know the doxology. I just really don't know all the words completely. But uh, would you mind p- playing that out for us? And then I'm going to dismiss you. Praise God in whom all blessings fall. Praise Him, all ye church here below. Praise Him, above a heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy May you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And will you please love your neighbor as yourself. Be loved people, loving people to Jesus this week. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you tonight.